Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, this is where the best run. And this is Season 9 of Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio, our longest-running series. Let's see what the buzz is today. I have a quote from insurancejournal.com. Here we go. As companies and government agencies send their employees home to avoid contact with the coronavirus, we all know about that, many cybersecurity teams are facing the un enviable challenge of securing sprawling, vulnerable networks. Let me just let that sink in for all of you for a second. Every time an employee connects to their corporate network from home, they're creating possible access points for hackers to exploit. When this happens, and let's do the math, 1,000 times on a single network almost overnight, as it has amid orders for regional lockdowns around the world, it's increasingly difficult to ensure every connection is secure. So that's the quote. Now, let me give you a little more background before I introduce my three esteemed panelists. Indeed, as the global pandemic alters our long-established patterns of social interaction, our world is shifting. If you're in the workforce, if you own a company, if you're a gig employee, if you're any kind of a consultant analyst, anybody to do with work with the business world, you know we have been shifting to where we remote, isolating work environment, and it looks like it's going to persist for a long, long time for what could be millions and millions of jobs, and some of them might not even be there anymore. The workforce is also becoming segregated in new ways as essential, and I'm putting air quotes around that, forgive me, essential functions that must be performed at work sites, public and community work sites, carry risks for individuals and employers. Add on top of this, uh-huh, extensive opportunities for financial fraud, cyber attacks, and information theft on a massive scale that will continue to evolve along with the process of this involuntary, and in many cases, willing social distancing. How can you and your company, your organization, whatever you're in, better cope with these threats? I have three security experts with me today, James Roski at Customer Advisory Group, Aaron Hughes at SAP, and Anne-Marie Colombo at SAP. We're going to ask them for their insights about the imperatives, meaning you better do it, and opportunities, let's think about it, to strengthen your organization's information risk protection. And we're calling this episode, Gimme Shelter. You all know what that is. Think of the stones. Coping with security challenges of the new remote working world. Long intro. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Bonnie in the house and ready to have my panelists introduce themselves. James Roski, please tell us, in case there's maybe two people in the world who don't know you, I have to be careful with that math. I know you're very well known. Tell us what you do, what your company does, very briefly, James, and what's a quick overview of your passion for this topic? Go ahead, James. Yeah, absolutely, Bonnie. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, once again, my name is James Roski. I'm the CEO of the Customer Advisory Group. Um, I've been doing SAP security audit and fraud investigation now for a little over 26 years. That's been my life's passion and focus of my uh, my career. I also had the great opportunity of being one of the early people at a company called Versa Systems. And for those of you who don't know, SAP bought us at Versa and our applications kind of became the the SAP GRC access control suite. And as a result, uh, after the acquisition, I became a VP over at SAP for strategic services, looking after the 
uh, proper implementation, successful implementation and the highlight of return on investment for uh, companies out there using that specific software. From there, I, I wanted to take my passion to really making sure that customers and, and consultants and, and companies and the whole realm out there were really using the applications properly, identifying the best practices and, and really making sure that we're protecting people uh, you know, in the field, you know, the people who are in the trenches. And unfortunately, security sometimes gets overlooked from that perspective. Security is sometimes looked as a barrier, you know, kind of a pain in the process rather than that that shelter, that umbrella to really protect people along the way. And as a result, I, I've kind of spent my career uh, trying to change that attitude, show the uh, the value that it brings to the table and, and really provide that safety. James, thank you. Welcome. And I have a quick question for you. How bad is it? I read an overview. I didn't give any numbers in my intro. How bad is it, this new vulnerability with network connections to people anywhere, everywhere, where whether they're in home, whether they've got their kids on multiple computers in their house, whether they're on the back porch, at the beach, wherever they are, uh, in a park, trying to do their jobs, if they have jobs? How bad is it? Well, it's it's definitely a challenge. Now, if I were to tell you that it's a brand new challenge, that's not correct. You know, we've had workforces that have been working remotely and accessing these networks from, you know, for a very long time. So the concept is not new. I think what is new is the volume, right? And making sure that uh, organizations out there can keep up with the volume because a lot of these infrastructures were not built to handle, you know, 100%, 90%, 80% of people working remotely. They were built for a handful of people needing to come in for a specific purpose. And when there's a strain on these infrastructures that weren't potentially built uh, to handle that, well, of course, I think the risk goes up. There, there's a, an emotional aspect to it as well. Uh, what I mean by that is people are under a lot of pressure nowadays, both personally, financially, and, and even from the companies that they're working for, since there's a lot of change. And I know we're going to talk more about that. And, you know, I don't want to lose sight and think that this is just a, a technology problem of, you know, there isn't enough bandwidth or, or those infrastructures can't handle it. It's also, you know, all the other factors that add to that fraud triangle of, you know, people have being under pressure, people having increased opportunity, as well as the, the rationalization of, of being able to to, you know, do some things that maybe they uh, wouldn't do based on their personality in the past under normal circumstances. Thank you. And the word normal has no place anymore. We all know that. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, James. <laughs> Welcome. Let's move around the table to Erin Hughes. Erin and I go way back years ago. This is ninth season for Financial Excellence. She was helping to support these shows, helping to produce them. And I'm so happy to have you on here. Erin Hughes, how are you? Have you been? What's your role now? And what's your overview on this topic? How bad is it? Hi, Bonnie. I'm excited to be joining you on this side of the panel for the first time. It's it's hard to believe that it was nine years ago that we started working on this series together. Yep. Um, uh, for the listeners, as Bonnie mentioned, my name is Erin Hughes. I'm a cybersecurity solution advisor at SAP uh, in our customer innovation office. Uh, for better or worse, I've been in this uh, security risk and compliance space for just over 16 years. I've I've thought about trying something different uh, a few times over the years, but security and risk has become something that I'm pretty passionate about. So uh, here we are. Um, I've spent about half of my career with SAP, half with big four accounting and consulting firms, and actually started as an IT auditor um, auditing SAP systems. But these days, I spend more of my my work time with companies talking about um, security strategy, uh, security solutions, as well as data protection and privacy topics. Um, and I'm really excited to share some of that experience with all of you today. Um, I also spend most of my non-working time 
boating. So we have a, spend a lot of time in the Chesapeake, especially during the summer, but I guess more on that when you have a, a radio series that's on boating or water sports, I guess. <laughs> um, but I'm excited to also have this conversation with James and Anne-Marie. They both have so much direct interaction with uh, organizations all over the world on this topic. So thanks again for having me today. Thank you, Erin. Delighted and, and quite a nice reunion. Uh, we, we finally get to see each other. To our listeners, we are actually physically on Zoom now, virtually on Zoom. So I have the privilege of watching my panelists think as they speak, which is wonderful. It's an enhanced radio experience. Should have thought of it years ago before we had to. Anyway, Erin, uh, question, how bad is it? Do you agree with James that there's an emotional component, that it's nothing new, it's just an exacerbation of what we have faced for a long time? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with with everything that James said, obviously, and, and the human element um, is definitely something that I think we'll talk about here today, because I think that, you know, there's obvious techni- technology challenges um, that, that have been there all along, but perhaps exposed more um, in in recent months with the the mass move to uh, remote work for for some of those who haven't necessarily been doing so before. But I also think that that is relative um, because there are plenty of organizations that have had uh, remote workforces for years, and their security has been bad, and they've just gotten away with it. Um, and and I say that on the privacy side as well. So I think that that is relative to your starting point. Um, and and hopefully we're seeing um, that this is becoming more of a priority for organizations for a variety of reasons that we'll definitely, um, I'm sure, touch on today. But um, I think that the starting point is also uh, something to consider uh, because, you know, there's there's a wide variety um, from a maturity perspective of where a number of these, these companies that we're seeing um, really start from. Thank you. That's an interesting perspective. It's all relative where you start from, right? Very interesting. The reference point. And now let's move around the table. One more virtual seat to Anne-Marie Colombo. Anne-Marie was on this series with me about a year ago. Time flies, Anne-Marie. Welcome back. Mm -hmm. And as I like to say with frequent panelists, Anne-Marie, in case there's one person in the world who doesn't remember you from that show, why don't you talk to that person, bring us up to date on what you've been up to, and what's your perspective relative to the astute commentary we've already had from James and from Aaron? Go ahead, Anne-Marie. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Anne-Marie Colombo. I'm actually on the same team as Aaron. I've been with SAP about four years. I've been in the SAP security and uh, non-SAP security area for about 12 years total. And it is one of those areas, security, that that kind of pulls you in. There's always some different aspect of it that that you can go. I started in the single sign-on area, got more into the whole identity access management space, and then... um, recently into the security incident and event management space. So always interesting, um, have some encryption in my background. So there's there's always a different area you can go into with security. So um, it, you can't ever lose interest, I don't think, because of all the different, different aspects of it. And um, yes, I would agree with both Aaron and James around um, a, a couple things. Yes, definitely uh, a very... Um, fast-moving type of event because people weren't expecting this. And so I think that led to the exposure um, that that there was some weakness, but also, and we'll talk about this, I think, a little bit later, uh, because of the quickness of everything happening, there's people that weren't prepared. And so from a security standpoint, you did see some security folks being moved into IT positions to try to help get like you said, 80% of the employees 
up and running on remote access rather than 20% that most companies were used to. And then you put on top of that some companies having uh, issues on both aspects. Uh, one, they're too busy because they're essential. They're, they're building products that people can't get enough of, like the N95 masks, the wipes, and so forth. And then on the other, on the end, other end of the spectrum, you have the people that, that unfortunately and sadly had to let people go. So there's uh, different things that you need to do from a security standpoint. Uh, we had people giving too much access to their systems in order to run the business better. And then you had people um, having to deal with um, uh, letting people go and all the security aspects around that. Thank you, Anne-Marie. I I appreciate your comments about we weren't expecting this. And this goes to something I think James and or Aaron said about companies might have been sliding by without being very aware of their vulnerabilities, uh, without taking Mm -hmm. a lot of care. They didn't get hacked. They didn't get breached. But they were sliding by and it might, you know, what do they say? You're going to get breached. It's just a question of you probably have, you just may not have known it or it will happen. Mm -hmm. It's not an if, it's a when. I've heard that statement before. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Very, very interesting comments. Thank you all for the the introduction to your position on the topic. Appreciate that. If you're just tuning in, this is Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham here with James Roski at Customer Advisory Group, Erin Hughes, at SAP and Anne-Marie Colombo at SAP. And our topic today is Gimme Shelter, coping with the security challenges of the new remote working world. And a shout out to Birgit Starmans at SAP who put together this topic and panel with the help of various other people. And thank you, Birgit, for being one of the sponsors of this very, our longest running series. So there. Now it's the time of the show when I have asked my panelists in advance to send me an interesting quote that technically has absolutely nothing to do with our topic, and they're going to relate the quote to the topic in their own words, starting off with James Roski. James has sent us a quote from Aaron Sorkin's A Few Good Men, in case you have been living under a rock, anybody, A Few Good Men is a play by Aaron Sorkin, first produced on Broadway in 1989. It's a story of military lawyers at a court-martial who uncover, uh uh-oh, a high-level conspiracy. Uh Uh-oh, how timely is this still, James? No comment. In the course of defending their clients, two U.S. Marines accused of murder, and it was adapted by Sorkin into a screenplay for the 1992 movie of the same name, A Few Good Men. So here is the quote. Deep down in places you don't talk about at parties, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. I hope I did it justice, James. What in the world does this have to do with our topic? (laughs) It was just like Jack Nicholson. You brought me right back to the movie. Thank you, Bonnie. (laughs) Well, I I know it's a very dramatic statement, but actually there's a little bit of a story to it. Uh, You know, I've had to really spend my, well, the majority of my career trying to convince people why security and compliance and, and all that stuff is so necessary. And uh, in my very early part of my career, I went to uh, uh, kind of a meet and greet at one of those ASUGs, you know, one of those rocking SAP parties. I think we've all been to it. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> and anyways, in one of those conversations, uh, we kind of went around and people were saying, so what do you do? And, you know, people would say, oh, I'm an SAP HR specialist. And I, I make sure that, you know, the human capital management aspect of the company runs you know, very succinctly. And it was very, very impressive. They went around the table and it finally came to me and they said, so what do you do? And I said, well, I do SAP security. And the response back was, oh, so you reset passwords, huh? 
And, <laughs> and you know, uh, okay. in those days, I was young and good looking and had a lot of vibrato and, and uh, a lot of testosterone. And I, it really made me angry because there's so much more, so much more to what we do than, you know, resetting passwords. Do I reset passwords? Absolutely, I did back then, but it was the tip of the iceberg. And it boils down to the appreciation of it. And in those early days, and this goes back almost to what I was saying in my introduction, um, yeah, you know, the appreciation was we were a barrier. We were something that was necessary, but kind of a pain, right? And it was only when you were needed that we would be reached out to. And I would have to go into these very difficult meetings with management to, you know, acquire budget or convince them of uh, certain security initiatives that we wanted to do and try to convince them. I had to go and actually pitch it because they didn't understand how important and how it should be prioritized within the organization. Now, the good thing is stuff has changed, right? Uh, there's been an evolution, not because people have a better appreciation of what security is and what we do. It's more of there have been incidents, right? We see it more in the news. We have a situation like what we're talking about today where security is, is definitely a necessity. Uh, it's something that should be prioritized appropriately. And, you know, senior management, anyone within the organization needs to have some level of uh, appreciation. But anyways, back to the quote, I got so riled up describing and, and myself and, and what I do and how important security was. I actually ended on that specific statement of you, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall because I'm there to protect you, right? You might not know it and you might not see it on a day-to-day -day basis, but that's a big part of my job. And yes, I do reset passwords too. <laughs> so you're James Rusky, the password guy. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, password guy. Thank Absolutely. you. That's, that's fascinating. You're right. When people think of security, that's all they think about is passwords, a necessary evil. And how cryptic do you make them? And how easy do you make them? And how hackable are they? And who do you accidentally tell them to? Remember the, we used to get guidance. Everybody remembers the corporate videos. I'm, I'm sure Anne-Marie does. Maybe James. I'm, I, maybe maybe Aaron, where it would say, don't put a sticky note on your desk or oh, tape yeah. at the bottom <laughs> of your desk. And walk away from your desk and leave your file cabinet unlocked and leave the password key on your mouse pad. Somebody will come into the company. And I, I remember all those training videos. Yes, it's your job. Okay, thank you, password guy. Nice. <laughs> that was great. And by the way, all that about testosterone and good looking and, and vibrant and all that, you haven't lost anything. I didn't even know oh, you back you. then. You're, you're still <laughs> in the moment here, James Rasky. Thank you very much. I'm seeing him on Zoom. You're not listeners. So there we are. Aaron Hughes sent us a wonderful quote. I've never heard this one before from Bill Gates. William Henry Gates III, born in 1955. I call him a young man. American business magnet. To our younger listeners, magnet is spelled M-A-G-N-A-T. -E, not N-E-T. It's not what you put on the refrigerator. <laughs> Software developer, investor, and philanthropist known as the co-founder of Microsoft Corporation. Since 1987, he's been included in the Forbes list of the world's wealthiest people as of November last year, in 29, 2019. He has estimated wealth uh, network of, or phone net worth of only $107 billion. Just a mere hundred seven billion, making him the second wealthiest person in the world behind. Anybody know who he's after? Mr. Yeah. Amazon. Jeff yeah, Bezos. That's, that's right. right. Jeff Bezos. Yeah. That's right. He's he's still the wealthiest. So anyway, uh, there we go. So here's the quote: Success is a lousy teacher. It seduces smart people into thinking they can't lose. 
Aaron, very interesting quote. How does that relate to our vulnerability issue about networks and passwords? Um, I've been catching up on a number of, of documentaries during this extended time at home um, and recently watched Inside Bill's Brain on Netflix. And I'm not going to give you a review of it here per se, <laughs> but one of the things they revealed is that he continues to read an average of one book per week. And these aren't crime or science fiction novels. Typically, they're related to topics that his foundation's working on, which right now include things like climate change and sanitation and the eradication of polio, some pretty heavy stuff. And the idea that he never stops learning about things that he's passionate about is super appealing to me. Um, but the quote, the quote, success is a lousy teacher. It seduces smart people into thinking they can't lose. First of all, I'm sure we've all had some sort of uh, experience with this notion in our own lives, whether that's personally or professionally. Um, but it brings to mind a few things for me. One is what's worked in the past won't necessarily work in the future. And, and in most cases won't work for the future, whether we admit it or not. Um, the second is, and, and this is a, a topic that I, I refer to a lot, is that that good enough might rot really not be good enough. Um, again, it's a phrase I use over and over again, but especially in the area of security risk compliance, GRC, there's so many companies that take the approach of, if I'm passing my audits and nothing's on fire, if we haven't been breached, then what we're doing is good enough. And the reality is, again, and I mentioned this in, in the opening, you may have just gotten lucky so far and that what you're really doing isn't good enough. Um, and I think to James's earlier point, we spend a lot of our time convincing people that these things are, are very important and security should be considered uh, much further in advance and not pushed to the back burner or not pushed to the end of the project. Um, it's, uh, you know, uh, many, many years of trying to justify the case for security. I think it's, I think it's finally getting its day. Um, but again, I think that th that good enough theory um, is, is hopefully starting to change. And I think the last thing uh, which relates to the idea of, of Bill reading a book a week and, and continued learning is that um, complacency is one of the biggest risks in this space. Um, it really is, I, I think, especially uh, the human element of it, but I'll stop there as I think we'll have um, plenty of chance to talk about that um, and the human element uh, uh, later in our conversation today. Thank you very much, Erin. Fascinating quote. That's one mm -hmm. I hadn't heard from Bill Gates. Let's move around to Anne-Marie Colombo. Anne-Marie has picked a lovely quote, a beautiful one from Helen Keller. Helen Adams Keller, 1880 to 1968, American author, political activist, she was very active politically, and lecturer, was the first deaf-blind person to earn a Bachelor of Arts degree. Her story, story of her and her teacher, Ann Sullivan, was made famous by Keller's autobiography, The Story of My Life, and its adaptation for film and stage, The Miracle Worker. Anne Bancroft played Ann Sullivan. I think they called her Annie. Uh, beautiful story. Here's the quote Anne-Marie has selected from Helen Keller. Keep your face to the sun and you cannot see a shadow. I have to say that in hushed tones, Anne-Marie, because it's so poetic. <laughs> Tell me how you picked that quote for our topic today, please. Yeah, well, first of all, I really like Helen Keller because she is somebody that I think as an example to anybody um, dealing with any type of adversity in your life. I mean, you look at what she overcame and, and she started out um, fighting the progress that that people thought she could make. She fought it. She, she didn't want to go there. She didn't think she could do it. And somewhere along the line, things changed and, and she just took off. And, and the, what she accomplished was so much for where she started. So I think uh, from an overcoming adversity, she's a, a great role model. And um, in this particular quote, 
you can look at it a couple different ways from a positivity standpoint, looking at the sunshine and keeping your, you know, a positive attitude going forward um, and, and ignoring the negativity that that might be the shadows or the, the mistakes maybe that you made in the past and, and push forward. But um, from a security standpoint, I think, um, you know, there's so much out there and, and it can feel like a losing battle in, in many cases because you, you deal with one, one problem and then 10 more problems come up or this type of attack happens and, and you've got 20 different um, attacks that sort of build off of that that come at you and uh, vulnerabilities, you know, you, you, some companies have so many vulnerabilities trying to figure out what do I patch first? What do I need to patch? How do I patch? Things are so hard. So being able to um, um, just focus on what you can get done and uh, focus on the things that are the most risky to your company, you know, and how to do that. I'm sure we're going to get into a bigger conversation today on that. But, but keep your face and your, your thoughts on what you can accomplish and, and kind of ignore the things that, that the lower level things that, that you can't do anything about and move forward as much as you can. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Some very, very interesting concepts in what you said about prioritizing. And and this leads me very interestingly into, it's now the round ta- the official roundtable, but we have been going around around the table already. Uh, so let's see how much we can cover. We're not a race against the clock, but we have some really good statements uh, to the listeners. I've asked my panelists, as I do on all of these Game Changer shows, to send me their top four statements on what's most important to each of them about our topic. I'll pick one from each of them. I will ask first James Roski to talk to me about, I'm going to read a little bit from his statement number one, James, and then we will invite Aaron Hughes and Anne-Marie Colombo to chime in for about two minutes apiece with agree or disagree statements on what James said. Then I'll pick one from Aaron and we'll go around the table, Aaron and Anne-Marie and James, and then we'll pick one from Anne-Marie. And I know we're going to come up with a lot of what you all want to talk about. So starting with James Roski, the world is changing rapidly as it pertains to customer security, compliance, and monitoring requirements. That's a word I don't know that we have introduced yet, the requirements, because with this disruption, I don't know if anybody knows what's required anymore. Uh, There was an ever-growing need for tools and automations that address and solve real-world problems and issues customers and companies are facing while protecting their users and data. Here's the important part. Conversations are shifting from, that would be nice to have, to, or... We have that on our five-year roadmap, too, turning to, we need it now, and why didn't we have this before? James, who's having these conversations? Talk to me. Yeah, well, I'm having these conversations with customers uh, directly, and and the reason for that is it, it boils down to priorities, right? Um, this excuse of, of ignorance is not really a situation where I go into the companies, they, they actually know about a lot of the flaws, a lot of the weaknesses, and a lot of the past decisions not to prioritize some of the original security initiatives that uh, probably would be very beneficial right now. Uh, so the conversations we're having is saying, hey, here's a solution. Here's you know the problem that you identified. This is how we can fix it. And the light bulb comes on now a little bit brighter than it did before because once again, COVID, the remote, the security, the fraud, the uh, potential impacts are now at the forefront of their priority list. And the same kind of conversations we had two or three years ago are completely different now, even with the exact same customers, because now they're saying, oh, 
I didn't know we could do this. Well, actually, you kind of did. We we talked about this a while, and it's even on your roadmap. And now it's giving them the incentive to accelerate that, right? And and that's a good thing. I, I don't want to paint a negative connotation to that situation. It's always good when people are making it a priority to address, you know, situations they have today. But you know, once again, we want them to be proactive, even past COVID. Once everything is more stabilized, and I, I know the world is never going to be exactly the same, but it's not going to be the same as it is today. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that they're continuing on that journey, continuing on that roadmap and continuing on the proper, uh, you know, prioritization rather than waiting for one of these events to give them the kick in the butt <laughs> to really do something about it. And, and I think uh, it, it's positive to have these type of conversations when I hear we need it now and, and they're willing to do something about it or, or we, we should have had this before. Uh, that shows me they're getting it. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can solve the problems today and then keep solving problems going forward. Important. That shows you that they're getting it. That's an important. That's the light bulb. Yes, they get it. They may be accepted and they may make it a priority. It's a start, right? Aaron Hughes, please join us and comment. Agree or disagree or add to what James just said. Go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, you know what? I think it's a, it, it, I, I agree. <laughs> I'll probably do that often. Um, I think that when we talk about the nice to haves, you know, a lot of things for, for organizations are nice to have unless there's a direct bottom line impact. And in a lot, a lot of these areas, uh, you know, we can't necessarily point to savings, um, but we, you know, so when we're talking about business case, um, it, it's a different type of business case, right? We're really talking about uh, protecting the organization, um, I think that the prioritization, uh, again, um, people are realizing that what they have isn't good enough necessarily. And especially because of some of the process change, you know, this is a very, this is an area I would say that, um, is pretty largely manual when it comes to, uh, practices and controls. And people are just realizing that, um, that that's just not an option anymore. Um, we've been talking, um, I know James has been talking, I've heard him for years talk about, you know, continuous monitoring and managing by exception. And I think people are finally catching on. It's a little frustrating sometimes because, uh, I'll say just a few years ago, when we started talking about robotics processing, um, and and really some of the the level one use cases, if you will, around continuous monitoring, I kind of put my hand up and said, hey, we've been talking about this for years. We didn't have a term that was as cool as robotics processing, but we've been talking about similar concepts in this space for years, and it's kind of been ignored. But I think that there is a recognition now that um, you know, we're not just doing these things for our health. This isn't just a check the box activity. Um, these really are required and there's a ton of value to be had. Um, it's just not necessarily the value that comes with a traditional business case in a lot of cases, in a lot of um, circumstances. Thank you. Anne-Marie Colombo, please join us. What do you think? Yeah, so I think that's true from a priority standpoint. I think about uh, an organization that I worked with that, um, actually had uh, the CISO speak at Sapphire last year with us. And um, it was kind of interesting because at the time there was a uh, an announcement about uh, an exploit that security researchers found. Um, the, actually, the, the exploit was against a vulnerability that SAP had patched years and years prior. And um, so in, if, if, if customers had kept up their patching, they wouldn't have had a problem. So when you talk about priorities, I think you look at the business case too, because the point that the CISO brought up was, hey, we looked at that years ago and we did not patch because to us it was low risk because the the systems that were impacted were behind the firewall. 
So yes, we knew about it, but we didn't patch. We chose not to. We focused on higher priority items. So I think in some cases, it depends on the business and, and it could be different for everybody depending on on um, on, on where they, they sit from a business standpoint. You think about um, some of the high profile attacks we've seen in the past, the WannaCry, which uh, required patching all these Windows, older Windows machines. And some companies chose not to do it because they couldn't do it. Their machines were old and it would have cost too much money to upgrade the machines. And so they just they just figured out a way to uh, work around it. So I think in, in some cases, yes, it, it, it can bubble up to a higher priority, but you also have to look at the risk to the business and what you can afford to do. Thank you all. James, that was a good starter to the roundtable. This conversation makes me think about having your roof checked, having your hot water heater checked. Yeah. <laughs> is it a nice to have? Is it going to last forever? Is there going to be a hole punctured in the side of it? Or are you going to have something crawling in your roof and coming through the ceiling? And yes, no comment. But just to relate it to the human side, thank you very much. Aaron News, you're up next. I'm looking at statement number three because we've been skirting the issue of the human element. Let's get into that a little more. I think you want to speak about this. Aaron told me the following. She says, do do not underestimate the human element of security and risk. Technology can and do will do a lot to beef up your security and risk management practices, but it cannot control the person sitting in front of the computer. That is such a big statement for today. Erin, tell us more, please. Yeah, I think the human element uh, of security has, has for a long time um, been fairly overlooked challenge, That, but it's certainly coming to the forefront. It was actually uh, the theme of RSA this year, but but when it comes, again, back to some of the, the newer challenges that we're facing now, companies are having to provide uh, employees that necessarily haven't worked remotely before with uh, laptops, mobile phones, other necessary equipment to um to you know, continue their work remotely, continue their jobs remotely, but they also really need to be making sure they're they're providing them with information on you know some of the technical features that have been enabled to secure remote access. For example, training as needed, um, because there's likely differences in the way that they're accessing their applications, their files, <clears throat> etc. And another of the the uh, big aspect of this training, I think, is is the why. Employees really need to understand why there's a change why working remote isn't just business as usual, um, that there's emerging threats, that there's social engineering, um, how to be more risk adverse, enablement on privacy and data protection. When people think of and understand the why, um, and they don't feel like they're just jumping through hoops for check the box activities, they're they're much more likely to implement the changes that are required to be more secure. Um, I think clarity, um, transparency, they're key. Otherwise, those requirements might be, again, just easier to ignore. Um, I also should mention just that the the part of human element um, also that also really needs to be included, not only the technical aspects that we'll talk a lot about today, but uh, again, the, the human or mental health, health aspects. So understand by asking, you know, what are some of the stressors that employees are going through? Um, at SAP, for example, we did a survey that really went out and, and tried to understand from the workforce at large, what were some of the challenges? Because there's an assumption, for example, that, um, you know, uh, employees with families and, and children at home that are having to now be educators have certain challenges. But what it also exposed is that there's an entire population of people that live alone that are facing a whole different set of challenges, a whole different um, mental game, if you will, because they don't necessarily have that social interaction. Uh, but asking and understanding, um, I think, you know, what some of these people are going through, asking what resources are needed to do the job. Only then can we really understand how to respond appropriately. And this is very related to security. I think that it's not necessarily um, 
something that we're, we, we talk about a lot when we talk about security. We talk about, you know, the technical measures that we're putting in place, uh, you know, patch management, configuration management, multi-factor authentication, access control, things like that. But um, there are many other considerations when it comes to the human element. Uh, we could probably just do an hour on, on that. But um, I am interested in what James and Anne-Marie have, have experienced here as well. Thank you, Erin. Anne-Marie, you've been summoned. Talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> so from a, a human element, yes, Erin, I agree with everything she said. Um, I, I think, too, that uh, uh, from uh, the mental health aspect, unfortunately, that can lead to more security issues, um, both uh, not only the stress from all the changes that are happening, but if the, if you are happen to be working for a company that does have to either furlough or terminate um, employees, and that, that, that represents a security risk. Um, mm -hmm. The FBI talks a lot about the fact that um, insider threats, but insiders who have left the company and still have access to the systems, that's what they've been seeing a growth in. So people that have left but still have access still are able to get into the systems uh, represent a huge, a huge um, uh, threat. And uh, I always tell a story about somebody I know that um, was a security engineer when he first started his career. He worked for a small software company. He, um, he uh, worked on the routing, router, routing software and he, he had his username and password. He left and 10 years later, he worked for a bigger company. The bigger company acquired that smaller software company so here he was again faced with the routers and 10 years later he just for the heck of it tried his username and password and they still worked 10 years later and this is the kind of thing and the examples that the fbi puts out there in terms of making sure that you deprovision access to all the different systems that people have and and that can be difficult to do if you also have a problem called shadow it which many companies have that you don't even know People have these systems on your system, so, so it can be a big issue and a, a, an area that uh, requires a lot of empathy when you're um, going through these kind of things with your employees. Thank you, Anne-Marie. That was some story you just shared. <laughs> I bet it's not that uncommon. James Roski, please join us. What do you think about the human side, briefly? Where, where oh. are you standing on this? It, it's absolutely critical. You know, we can put in all the technology checks we want, but it's it's all about that interface between the fingers and the keyboard, really, that is uh, controlling a lot of this. And I do want to take a step back and relate it back to that fraud triangle that I talked about. You know, people are under so much pressure and, you know, working from home. I, I love the YouTube videos and the stuff that you see on CNN where they're doing interviews and the kids walk into the room, you know, and it's so embarrassing. Well, that's becoming the norm. And unfortunately, although it's, it's funny and I feel bad for the people that go through that, it, it's also presenting even security issues as well, right? You don't know the people uh, now in the home that might be looking over the shoulder of, of you know, the worker uh, doing critical things and then accessing critical information from the company, right? Uh, that was a risk even internal when you were going to your, your work site and, and, and such, but I think it bumps it up a notch. Uh, because you really lose a certain level of control. And if people don't have an appreciation of that added risk or the need to protect that, that additional 
national level, then you've lost complete control. So I, I think, and Aaron, I believe you brought this up, a lot has to do with an education process, right? And an awareness process, uh, because people need to understand, hey, having your brother-in-law look over the shoulder and see the pricing of a certain material while you're doing a transaction in the system, you know, that could be used for bad, not to say he's a bad person, etc. Now, uh, the second part that I want to add is that fraud triangle again, and I, I'm a big believer in this, and I'm sorry to, if I'm harping on a single topic, but it really boils down to pressure, opportunity, and realization, right? And if you look at this scenario right now, people are under a ton of pressure. This remote working aspect is causing people to work longer hours. I know it is for me, right? Because my commute to work is now... 35 steps from the bedroom to my home office, right? I usually don't take the same lunch type of concept. I'm working later hours. Plus, you know, as Anne-Marie mentioned, with all the potential furloughs and unfortunately people losing their jobs, people are asked to wear even more hats, right? Because there are now gaps Mm -hmm. of resources saying we still have to get the widget out the door. You know, now you need to do your job and potentially someone else's job uh, at the same time, which causes, you know, risk from a segregation of duty perspective, but it's more of that pressure. And, and finally, uh, you know, I think all of us on this call and probably a lot of your listeners have been in situations where they have job uncertainty, right? Mm -hmm. And they probably haven't lost their job yet, but they're worried about losing their job. And there could be some animosity building. And that changes how people think. And that's more of the rationalization. People who are straight as an arrow would never think of of potentially doing something bad or using the privileged information or the access that they have on a day-to-day basis for for bad rather than good has probably never crossed their mind. But when you start adding all those different things to the pressure and the worry and, you know, people can even start thinking in a different way. And, and that that's unfortunate and that's scary. And a lot of times the technology can't necessarily stop that in every situation. We do our darndest to yep. plug as many holes, but there's that knowledge, there's that education, and there's that compassion that needs to go along with, I think, a lot of this of understanding people's circumstances at the same time. Thank you, James. Thank you all. Great topic. I'm going to move on. I have one comment. Think of mom or dad who is employed on a secure network doing their work, steps away to take care of a child in the other room, the other spouse or a teenager or a child in the family sees mom's laptop open, goes in and accesses their email, finds something interesting, clicks on it. What if it's a, what if it's a virus? What if it's a what if it's something that is uh, inappropriate? What if it's something the mom or the dad, the worker person, would never have clicked on and they expose that person's computer to who knows what? That would just, to me, that's just even the very simplest thing, having a computer on and open and connected to a network and step away in your home and somebody walks in the room. Let's leave that one. Anne-Marie, I'm looking at statement number three, very important. You say, keeping the business running has led to a focus on business resiliency and in some cases facilitated a move to the cloud faster than planned. Moving to the cloud unexpectedly can cause companies to lift and shift applications quickly, leaving security and data sovereignty compliance planning for later. I'm going to stop there. Anne-Marie, let's dive into the technology part of this. Go ahead. Yeah, so I think, um, and that kind of goes along with um, my first statement that I have provided where uh, security's uh, priorities may have changed. So there may have been a two-year plan, a three-year plan, a five-year plan, and now all of a sudden, the business is disrupted and um, and security people are being called on to help support, help do IT support, help get the people up and running and productive to keep the business running. And security can somewhat be an afterthought. 
or to uh, keep the business running. And maybe uh, the cloud offers very easy access. And so there's a move to get things out to the cloud quicker than they originally planned. We talked a little bit about that because maybe the cloud represents, does have a little more security because some of the stuff that comes from an infrastructure standpoint can be handled by the Azure, the AWS, and the Google Cloud. So that, that part of it, you are going to get a little bit more security. But just lifting and shifting the applications um, can give you a false sense of security. You've got the infrastructure security maybe handled by the, the hyperscalers, but the application side of it, um, it's better to go through a plan and really think through the security, the priorities that you want to make from a, a moving that application to the cloud. Think about the security. Is it a 20-year application you're trying to move to the cloud? That might create a bigger problem than, um, than what you're, you're faced with. So, so um, thinking through the strategy as you move to the cloud while under pressure to support the business can be tricky. Um, the cloud does provide the ability to uh, support more users quicker and from a business resiliency, the, the backup capability and uh, disaster recovery, there may be more, more, um, more technical um, support there in the cloud than you may have on-premise. On but I think you do have to plan it out and not just uh, rush to the cloud without thinking through some of the aspects of um, how you really are looking at security so that you're not leaving security as an afterthought because there's too much pressure to hurry up and get to the cloud and um, and get the business productive and forget the security till later. Thank you very much, Anne-Marie. Good points. Let's go around the table. James, you're sitting next to Anne-Marie on our virtual table. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I completely agree. Um, the cloud, you know, from my perspective, is a little bit like the wild, wild west right now. Uh, what I mean by that is I, I think they're early on in the development, not from the technology perspective, but mainly from the security perspective. Now, I'm old school. Uh, you guys know I've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, I don't think of myself as a dinosaur, but rather a person who's been there, bought, been there, done that, and bought the t-shirt in a lot of platforms and a lot of applications through the years. And I think this is, of course, a, a, a logical step in the evolution of technology to go to the cloud. But when I, I look at that, I, I like to compare things. And I compare about uh, the granularity of security that we have in existing on-prem type of applications versus the security levels that are available for security administrators to control access within the cloud. And whether or not it's a generational thing or a different batch of designers, um, there's a contrast. And what I mean by that is we're given a lot of flexibility and complexity when it comes to the security of a lot of the on-premise applications that we know and love that have been around for many years. And when we go to the cloud, the concept is around simplicity, not only from a user interface perspective, but also, unfortunately, from a security perspective as well. And uh, a lot of security administrators and the, the feedback that I'm getting is that, you know, they used to have 20 little switches they could uh, control security with, with the old application. But when they go to the cloud, there's one big on and off. You can do it or you can't. And uh, as a result, uh, it, it's an adjustment, right? Especially when it comes to segregation of duties and trying to figure out, well, you should do this, but you shouldn't be able to do that, but you should be able to do this, et cetera. <laughs> and if you don't have that inherent security granularity, 
in uh, such as the cloud applications, then you know that's going to put organizations, I think, in a, in a bit of a predicament, right? Where you need to be flexible but rigid at the same time when it comes to access. You know, I need to prevent people from getting it, but if I can't control at that granular level, I have to give you more than I want, and that's a tough situation. So, Anne Marie, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think there's kind of an evolution, not only the people of looking at their evolution to the cloud, but I think there needs to be some evolution, especially on the security infrastructure perspective for a lot of the cloud applications as well to, you know, get to a, a little bit more complex structure rather than simp- simplification from security only. Thank you, James. Aaron Hughes, you're up. What do you think? Well, I think two things uh, initially. The, the term lift and shift Nothing makes me cringe like the term lift and shift for so many reasons. But I think that, you know, there's two big ones here. One is just a a process perspective. Um, You know, organizations, you know, look at technology upgrades or or shifts in technology in a lot of cases as a lift and shift. But there's uh, they're losing so much opportunity for for actual improvement and taking advantage of some of the new technology features and functionality and really understanding how. Um, they can impact the business across the board. But I think uh, when it comes to security and controls, um, you're also, you know, carrying forward in a lot of cases, um, perhaps some poorly designed security assumptions, poorly designed control frameworks. Uh, You're making too many assumptions in a lot of cases that what worked before, again, will work um, or work in the new world um, and, and just, you know, carrying forward some of those exposures. And I think specifically when it comes to cloud, um, I know that that IBM uh, released a, a study recently on the cloud and found that configuration issues, which are typically the user's responsibility, so the company's responsibility, are most often the, to blame for for data leaks, accounting for I think they said over eighty five percent of all breaches. Um, and so, really understanding, you know, when we move the make the shift to cloud. Um, you know, what, what is the responsibility of the organization? What's the responsibility of the cloud provider? Um, what are the risks that we have to address? There's probably additional risks on the third party side. Um, some of the risks that we've been addressing, it's not the risks are necessarily going away, but the way that we mitigate them um, is likely changing. Um, and especially, I think, in in the on-premise to, to cloud comparison that, that James, you made in terms of the, the 19 available options on the one side and the one big switch on the other side, um, there is, you know, we're, we're giving up some of that granularity in the shift to the cloud for, from an ease of use perspective. But what that really means is that from a controls perspective, we have to really rethink some of this uh, to make sure that we're, we're not losing control as well um, or that we're just handling it in a different manner. But, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, the, the, the speed of which doing so, it, it just does um, sometimes open the door for security and control issues long term. Thank you very much. I have a quick question for James, and then we're going to get into the crystal ball predictions round. I'm going to give you each about 60 seconds, maybe 75 seconds each for your prediction. James, quick question. If there is a security breach at, let's say, uh, Mr. Smith's home computer in his home in uh, Nutley, New Jersey, and uh, somebody gets on and downloads something that's hackable, or or he leaves a password available and, and something happens, or he downloads a a virus, let's say, and something happens. So is there a way for the company to identify Mr. Smith in Nutley, New Jersey? I hope there's nobody working with any of you who is that person. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Jones, Mrs. Jones. Is there a way for the company to identify that exact source and say, ah, we plugged that hole. We know who it is. Is it that easy? James? Well, that's a, that's a great question. It depends on what type of security software they have running today. 
right? So that uh, the answer to that question is going to be different for every organization out there, unfortunately, and different for every uh, technology platform that you're referring to. So even in your question, you talked about e email. Well, that's got a whole different set of tools currently right now that a company could have in place to actually identify what you said, or they might not be monitoring it at all. If we're talking about such as an ERP software system, well, once again, that's another different set of tools. And unfortunately, I would love to say yes globally that, hey, everyone's got it under control. And yeah, there's always audit trails that we can find. But the answer is kind of, sort of not. And, and this is a part of that evolution of, of a customer. If a, a customer has prioritized, you know, security and breaches over the years, they're going to hopefully have a lot more ammunition to be able to, uh, you know, recuperate from a situation like that and track it down. Uh, for a company that might be a little bit behind in their evolution, the unfortunate answer is no. And they won't find out about it until potentially that information is used for, for harm. Right. And maybe that information will never be used for harm. And as a result, they will never even know about that breach. And that's you know, going to prevent them from having that impetus to even fix a problem that they don't even know about. Thank you, James. We're now down to 45 seconds each for predictions. But I had to ask the question. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> it was worth it. So, James, 45 seconds prediction. Aaron, get ready. And then Anne-Marie, then we'll wrap. Go ahead, James. Well, my crystal ball is never good. It's always a little foggy, but I really think there's going to be a software convergence that's going to happen. You know, uh, you know that phrase, there's an app for everything. Well, that's great, but what we're finding is there's a whole bunch of spot solutions out there, 25 different apps that a company needs to have in place to be able to cover the full gamut. I think over the next couple of years, we're going to see a convergence and probably some big players in the market are going to have to do it. So convergence around VPN software, identity stores, single sign-on, LDAPs, you know, compliance reporting and provisioning, all are going to come down to, I need a full set of tools to handle all aspects. Thank you. Aaron Youth, your 45 seconds of glory. Go ahead. All right. So I'm going to go back to the human element of security for my crystal ball prediction. I think this has been my theme today. I'm just going to say that I think we're going to see a closer collaboration between HR and security. There's been a lot of talk in the past about partnering to close the talent management gap, but I think we're going to see more of these teams working together to bridge um, the cybersecurity gap as well. They need to be working closer together to really implement security. And again, that education piece to educate the workforce. Um, with all due respect to the security audience, we aren't always the most creative in understanding, you know, how to capture the attention um, of our audience. So my prediction, I guess, slash hope is that we're going to see an equal investment in this area um, that we do in the technology area. I think the best combination is is that technology or the combination of, of, of humans and, and machines. Um, we're spending a lot of time on the machine and the machine learning side of things, and we really need to balance that out with the human learning side of the scale. And again, it's probably not, you know, it's, it's not a revolutionary idea, but the implementation of it is different than, than, than talking about it. Thank you. Anne-Marie Colombo, you get the last 45 seconds. What do you see in the crystal ball? How clear or cloudy is it? Okay, so I think it's very clear from a cloud perspective. <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't realize I said that. Go ahead. <laughs> I think that you're going to see a big move to the cloud. That's kind of an obvious crystal ball, I think, because um, it, it supports remote work in terms of spinning up more workers, uh, getting rid of workers that you don't need. So you're always paying as you go. And it, it supports that from elasticity standpoint. And then business continuity, and then there are some security advantages. I agree with James that it is a bit of the Wild West in some ways from a security standpoint, but there are some advantages to moving to the cloud from a security standpoint as well because somebody else is doing the patching and so forth. 
But I think the other area from a security standpoint um, that I see in the crystal ball is uh, the supply chain security. And there was an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal today um, about GM and what they see from a connectivity standpoint across the supply chain. And you see this in the A&D space with the Department of Homeland Security's uh, CMMC certification uh, to certify supply chain partners to fill those security gaps that, that may exist because you're only as strong as um, the security in your smallest supply chain partner. Thank you. Love the crystal ball predictions. I'm sorry about that pun. I didn't realize what I said. I should have known. I want to thank all of you. And I want to thank Chris Grundy and Birgit Starmans for sponsoring the series. Nine years. Aaron, who knew we would still be doing this, this particular show? There are 48 Game Changers series. And this is the oldest, longest running one. I'm happy to have all three of you on. I want to do a shout out to Danielle at World Talk Radio, Voice America, the business channel team for getting us on the air and keeping us there so wonderfully and keeping me honest on the time. And I want to say to our audience, it's time for my call to action. So here we go. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? My car is getting two months to the gallon. I hope you're doing just as well. Go out and be a game changer today, just like James Roski at Customer Advisory Group, just like Aaron Hughes at SAP, and just like Anne-Marie Colombo at SAP. Everybody wave, signing off. Have a good one. Be safe. Mm -hmm. Be savvy. Be smart. And help solve the problems. That's what we're going to say. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to operate profitably and adapt continuously. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.